0: Unfortunately, he didn't have a schedule um, opening for me for a couple other months, and I know I couldn't wait that long. And I found another hernia specialist, uh, Dr. Eunice in Florida, who saved my life. Like he did the removal. Um, Granted, it didn't alleviate the symptoms immediately, Um, but I did notice a few changes. Like I was able to start eating again. I was able to stand up for more than a couple of minutes at a time.
1: Hello and welcome to the Health Detective Podcast by Functional Diagnostic Nutrition. We bring you interviews from people who have conquered the trickiest of health challenges using the functional diagnostic nutrition philosophy and similar healing modalities. You're gonna hear from experts who have been through the ringer with their health issues and yet managed to come out on the other side. If you're interested in natural healing and or functional medicine, congrats, you are in the right place. You can always visit us at functionaldiagnosticnutrition.com but for now, here is today's episode. All right, Hello, my friends, and welcome back to another episode of the Health Detective Podcast by Functional Diagnostic Nutrition. My name is Evan Transu, aka Detective Ev, and I will be your host for today's show, the first episode live of the new year 2024, and we are on episode number 298 of the Health Detective Podcast, which is absolutely crazy. Um, I still can't believe it every time we get a little bit closer. So this month officially is three years of the Health detective podcast which is really cool we used to call ourselves the FDN Thrive podcast and uh, what i'm probably most amazed about throughout this whole time is that medicine and health is so big that there are always new topics to bring on that we've never even touched on for half a second um, on this show. And that's one of the topics we'll be getting into today. Before we get into that topic, though, with our guest, I wanted to shout out something that we have going on on January 18th. Um, We've been really surprised uh, in a positive way by how many people hop on live with us when we do these podcasts and we send the emails out to you guys. So we figured, okay, if you guys like this, uh, you'll definitely like our workshop formats because they're, very engaging. Um, we're constantly talking to the audience the entire time. So on January 18th, 2024, we have a stress and hormones workshop going down. We have done this one time before, and it was, um, It was awesome, but it was a little insane. We had it scheduled for 60 minutes. We ended up getting off two and a half hours in. And that was not because we wanted to stay on for two and a half hours. It was because uh, you guys were awesome asking questions and engaging. So it was really fun. I can't promise two and a half hours again, uh, but I do promise that it'll be a lot of fun. So, again, that's January 18th, 4 p.m. PST, 7 p.m. EST. I have a link for you below here. It's actually going to be on the screen, and you can get yourself registered there. We'll probably be able to put this in the YouTube and Facebook comments as well. I have my friend Tracy uh, in the background here. And Tracy, maybe I don't think I can post it directly to YouTube and Facebook. So if you could do that just when you get a chance, uh, that would be great. So January 18th, 4 p.m. PST, 7 p.m. EST. Now, with that said, it's time to dive into the topic of today, which is going to be mesh implant illness, and you know that we always touch on other things as well, but this one is something that just came um, across my table, if you will, for the first time ever, and then Lo and behold, uh, that's just how things work. Three days later, I get the bio for Dr. Sharon Sarita, and I realize that's what we're going to be talking about today. So Dr. Sharon Sarita is a certified functional diagnostic nutrition practitioner and triumphant uh, triumphant chronic illness warrior. Her passion for holistic well-being is shaped by her personal four-year journey to overcome challenges with dysautonomia and complications from a hernia mesh implant. Armed with a doctoral degree in environmental engineering from Florida International University, Sharon's expertise in air, water quality, and environmental health risks linked to chemical and mold exposures enables her to craft personalized strategies uh, using a holistic approach. She develops bio-individual protocols that have been used successfully to eliminate hidden stressors in the body and remove environmental toxicants, uh, thereby improving the lives of her clients. Dr. Sharon, welcome to the show. It's great to meet you.
0: Great to be here. I appreciate you so much. I love all of the information you're putting out there. So I applaud all of your efforts in the functional health space.
1: Yeah. And what a cool background today. Um, Really interesting mix of credentials to come on FDN. And so when people call us and they say, who does FDN? And I'm always like, well, kind of everyone, Uh, right? This (laughs) is a career path that picks us. We don't necessarily pick it. Uh, This is what I mean, guys. So we have (laughs) environmental engineering doctor today, uh, now becoming FDN and and doing the good work. So we want to focus a lot today. We discussed off air about what people can do, the action steps. But of course, just as the bio uh, told us, everyone that gets into this usually has a personal health story so we want to spend some time on that in the beginning and um if you do listen like you said you know that my first question that i always ask is when did your health symptoms start and what did they look like at the time
0: right and i can tell you exactly the day that it began it was november 6 2019 so it's been quite a while of of kind of managing this situation and mine actually happened from a hernia mesh implant or the actual surgery itself and I'll talk a little bit more about you know how it kind of came to play. But essentially, I went in for this hernia repair that is supposed to be routine. I found a general surgeon. I had multiple opinions, which is always recommended. But sometimes we don't even know that a general surgeon might not be the best fit for the specific type of surgery. So there are hernia specialists out there that for anyone who is looking at this um this type of procedure and they wanna look at their options, whether it be a tissue repair or a mesh repair or whatever, definitely look for a hernia specialist rather than just a general surgeon. But going back to my story, when I got the surgery, I had already gone to maybe two or three consultations mm-hmm. and I was adamant against synthetic mesh. So synthetic mesh is the one that probably people hear about in the lawsuits. They know that there's been issues with more the chronic pain situation happening. Uh, mesh migration bowel perforation all, all that kind of stuff because of the proximity of where the mesh is placed and normally they will put it in um well, not normally but depending on the case they can either put it in laparoscopically robotically or they do open incision so in my case because of the type of hernia that i had they did a they did an open surgery and they placed the mesh actually in the retrorectus space so it's between the muscle layers and it's it's pretty invasive they don't tell you how invasive it's going to be but it was pretty invasive i had an incision from hip to hip and i did opt to have a plastic surgeon in-house as well to help you know guide what a, a good aesthetic outcome preferably but now in hindsight that's the least of my concerns because i had to battle years of the chronic pain and the symptoms that began immediately so Um, for many people who do experience implant illness mesh implant illness is the one specifically that i dealt with you know they could be breast implant illness it can be um, like hip replacement joint replacements anything like that can cause similar reaction and we can we label it in common terms foreign body reaction um it's been referred to as asia syndrome so that is like an autoimmune inflammatory um, syndrome induced by adjuvants that's what the acronym is for And what happens is that this toxin load can build up over time, or it can happen immediately, as was in my case. Now, I went in and I had, I was given antibiotics as a precautionary measure. Um, I was also given painkillers, pretty extreme painkillers. And, you know, as soon as I woke up from surgery, the nausea hit me. Mm. And they're like, okay, that's normal. That's normal coming out. But it did not stop. And I had um, chronic fatigue. I started experiencing syncope, which was never, never happened to me before. And I remember day three, I had home health nurse coming in. On day three, I started having severe tachycardia. Um, Again, syncope episodes. I could not eat. I lost my ability to eat and not so much because of nausea, but just the uh, like a food aversion, such a severe food aversion. I didn't want to eat food. I couldn't Smell it. If I smelled an odor, um, anything cooking, fragrances, I would immediately begin vomiting, for lack of a better term. And then we know antibiotics do a number in the GI tract. So um, I was having issues with that. So um, within a month's time, I lost maybe 30 or 40 pounds. I was not able to move very well. So mostly bed bound. And that continued for for months. And so I was starting to lose hope um, that there was any chance of recovery, you know, by month two, I started joining these support groups and I learned about mesh implant illness. Um, I learned about the surgeons that that specialize in this and and I want to talk about a study in a little while that brings that to light and how people can participate in the study. But, you know, after two or three months, I did find a surgeon who, you know, rather than gaslight me as I went through probably 20 or so different specialists. You can name it, cardiologists, uh, rheumatologists, gastroenterologists, and numerous scans, blood work, things like that. There was not, not anything that was indicative of disease. So I just kept going around the circle and and at a point like begging for help, essentially. And um, I did find a surgeon, flew all the way to Cleveland, Ohio. I'm I'm in Florida. And at that time I was in South Florida. So we made the trek to Cleveland and I was validated by a surgeon, um, Dr. Karpata, and he was the first surgeon. Mind you, I, I saw multiple surgeons too because I knew that this was an issue. Um, he was the first one that told me, we can remove the mesh. You have a 50 chance, 50% chance, fifty chance of uh, a reoccurrence and it might not alleviate the symptoms. But at that stage of my life, I was like, I'll take that chance. And um, unfortunately, he didn't have a schedule um, opening for me for a couple other months and I knew I couldn't wait that long. And I found another hernia specialist, uh, Dr. Eunice in Florida, who saved my life. Like he did the removal, um, granted, it didn't alleviate the symptoms immediately, um, but I did notice a few changes. Like I was able to start eating again. I was able to stand up for more than a couple of minutes at a time. And um, then I had to learn, uh, it took me two or three years about functional medicine, functional health space, and things that I could do to nurture my body and and eliminate toxicity and things like that.
1: Wow. Okay. Well, there's a lot to unpack here. One thing I have to ask is, I if I don't know it, I, I always assume. I hope someone else doesn't know it. You mentioned um, a word, syncope. I haven't heard that. What does that mean?
0: Oh, it's lightheadedness, oh. and well, you can have presyncope, so it's lightheadedness upon standing. In my case, um, you've probably heard of POTS, yes. postural orthostatic tachycard. Um, So, and then there's orthostatic hypotension. I am diagnosed with that now. So, anytime I stand up, if I don't allow my blood pressure to elevate. I could potentially pass out. <laughs> so, so that's another thing that you have to kind of work your lifestyle. And as you're working at rebalancing, some of those things take a lot longer to taper down. But in comparison to where I was even last year, my functionality is a thousand times better. You know, I was bed bound for a time and now I'm, you know, I'm, I'm making progress. Say. Sure. Sure.
1: Okay, so well, thank you for that answer. Now, rewinding a little bit, one of the things that you mentioned in the beginning is the mesh implant, the synthetic mesh implants. This is the ones that you hear all the lawsuits about. Um, I'm always I hope this is a good thing. Maybe this is why our show works. I hope people appreciate this. I never I always want to expose my ignorance when i, I when I really don't know something, I always share it. And I've never heard of lawsuits about this. In fact, again, I was telling you off air.' I'll, I'll bring it up here so the audience understands what I was getting at. Uh, Not only did I not hear about the lawsuits, I never knew that this was even an issue whatsoever until my friend, coincidentally, three days before looking at your bio uh, to set this up for this podcast, came to me. And again, super healthy guy. Uh, He's just someone that has never i have never even seen with a cold. Like he's just vibrantly healthy, always has been ever since he was a kid. And he had a hernia. And he got this mesh and he was telling me about this uh, when he was home for Christmas break, basically. And so we're chatting and he's like, do you know anything about this? I'm like, I've never heard of this once. And the way he describes it, because he's overall doing okay, thank God. But he describes it almost like as one half of his body, he feels like is like slumping down almost or just weak. That's that's what he described to me. And I said, okay, dude, I, I've never heard about that, but I can ask an AFDNP for you. I could ask in our groups. And he's like, all right, cool. I'll get some questions together and then you beat me to it, right, But with coming on with this. So, um, I guess this is happening to much more people than we think, especially with the lawsuits. And if that's happening, what is the, I always like to try to get the Western medicine perspective. Even if I don't agree with it, it's good to understand why they're doing it. If lawsuits are happening, if people are getting sick like you, and it's not like you're some crazy hippie out here, you are a very well-versed intelligent person with credentials showing people what happened to you. Why are they still doing this? What is the advantage to Western medicine of using this synthetic mesh?
0: absolutely so it is the gold standard in surgery um, a lot of people will require some type of bridge because of the severity of their hernias um there's small umbilical hernias that can be now that can be reper- repaired like diastasis recti which is just muscle repair and that i didn't know in the past like, had i known that's the avenue i would have went but for many hernias um you know there's there's a high chance of failure so they have these different types of mesh that they're using polypropylene is is plastic like these are mostly made out of plastic and, and other materials but polypropylene is the one that is most often used i don't know what the statistics are i want to say maybe 70% at a time or something like that um polyester is used as well another both of these are plastic derivatives of the petroleum industry so i in my head as an environmental engineer i should have made that that correlation before going forward with surgery but it, i was adamant about getting the biologic mesh that is what i i chose like the least amount of potential reactions with that, but it's also a higher chance of failure. So for those people who have significant, uh, you know, separation in the abdominal wall or have larger or recurring hernias, then mesh might be the only way they can actually bridge that and and hold it together to prevent additional adhesions from forming. You know, you can imagine multiple surgeries, it's more complex and more chances of having issues with the internal organs. So yeah, so um, they have, like I said, polypropylene, they have polyester, Um, they use cadaver tissue, they use porcine tissue, and the biologic mesh, again, they're doing more research on all of this. Um, The one that they use specifically in me is called FASIX. And I believe it was introduced in about 2015 for the abdominal wall. It's been used in suture material for a long time. So it lasts a little bit longer than biologic mesh, but um, it's supposed to be absorbed within 18 months to, you know, 24 months. And um, ironically, I've met a lot of people who three years out, no degradation. It's still intact when they have it removed. And that was the case with me. And mine was only four months internal, but no degradation um, other than, you know, some severe inflammation on the left side, which caused a surgery in the same, like if you wanted to have minimal scarring, um, they were not able to use the same access point. So I have now a vertical incision from sternum down and then an incision from hip to hip. So removal isn't easy, but in some cases where they have this illness, it's necessary.
1: So the Western medicine perspective, just again, just so we can always try to see both sides, because then I think that's actually how we can make the most progress. They're looking at this as- hey, we are treating a hernia. And so for the sake of the hernia, this might be the most effective way for them to make it better, but they're not necessarily, I mean, this is classic Western medicine, right? They're not necessarily thinking about the million repercussions that can happen um, and the new problems that can now occur. It's like, yeah, well, we solved your hernia, uh, solved, but now you have all this stuff afterwards. So, okay, I got that. Um, And there's 32 people live. So first of all, thanks for tuning in with us today. Uh, But I'm curious as well, because this is such a specific topic. We're talking about, mesh implant illness, and it's it's newer to me. So if you're on here today, uh, one, feel free to ask any questions. I'm totally open to that, especially with this podcast. And number two, please just let us know uh, why you're here today. Just You can even type in friend, you can type in family, you can just type in myself. Uh, I'm curious why you're watching this today, because I'm trying to understand how widespread this might be. And I'll actually, I'll, I'll throw that at you. How I don't even know if there's actual numbers or maybe you'd have to estimate, so it's fine either way. But let's say 100 people um, get these synthetic meshes. How many people out of these 100 do you know or believe are getting some type of symptoms because of this? Like, is this really like a significant amount?
0: Yes, um, the statistics are very unclear because again, it is a new research effort, new research endeavor. And so one of the surgeons, and I consulted with this surgeon also, all the way in California, like one of the top hernia surgeons, she's actually doing a study or she has published papers. And one of them was just published, I think, January 23, specifically on mesh implant illness. And in that study, um, I believe there was about 150 um, hernia related cases. And of those, you, know, you can see it's very small scale. So we need a lot more input. Um, so of those people, 100, um, I wanna say about 160 people did have some type of mesh implant removal. But of those small population or that subset, it was 28 people with suspected mesh implant illness. So most people do come in for the chronic pain or the mesh migration or the reoccurrence. But those 28 people, um, they did uh, exclude anyone who had pre-existing conditions. So they made sure that these people did not have autoimmune diseases before um, extrapolating their data. But of that, the 28 people who did experience this implant illness and didn't have removal for some structural issue, um, they actually had resolution of symptoms, like for, uh, I want to say, short term, even within the month, I believe it was about 68%, and then long-term resolution of these symptoms, which anyone will take any improvement, um, there were 65% or so that did have complete resolution. Wow, okay. And that is is Dr. Sharin Tofai in Beverly Hills Hernia Center. So um she's the what she's actually putting out a survey. And I've shared that information. I've shared the link for people who do suffer from this or have family members. If they can contribute to the research, that would be amazing.
1: Yeah. Well, Dr. Sharon, just so you can kind of get some of the audience answers here, I won't go through everyone that uh, contributes, but first of all, thank you guys for answering my questions. So just so we know why people are here today. um, Jennifer said, both my brothers have them. I will have to ask if they have these symptoms. Thank you. So she's just here helping out. God bless. Um, Nicole said, I'm so happy you're doing this. My dad has been suffering from nausea, fatigue, dizziness this all happened after his surgery too thanks for hopping on nicole um cheryl actually no cheryl said never heard of it just here to learn classic fdn fashion cheryl's at FDN. um tammy said had implant surgery two months ago watching today so i can monitor for possible symptoms i am a fellow fdn as well awesome um, <laughs> Elaine says, a friend had two hernia surgeries with mesh. Don't know if he has a specific problem with it, but he has other autoimmune issues that might be related. Need more info about this issue? Thanks for this. And, and there's a couple more here, but like, wow. Okay. So, uh, first of all, you guys are amazing people if you're just hopping on for someone else. Um, how cool must that feel to be the person that might be struggling right now? And they have someone in their life that's taking the time out of their Friday to get on a podcast so that you can learn for them. uh, That's, they're very lucky to have you in their life, first of all. Um, One thing I wanted to ask, because I'm looking at my friend Casey and he had this surgery years ago and is just starting to correlate this. And again, if you asked Casey, um, Hey Casey, how do you feel most of the time? Casey would say, "Oh, I feel great. I'm I'm doing okay." And then we have your case where immediately, we're talking like waking up after surgery, the symptoms began. Um so is it I guess for the people that do suffer with symptoms of this from what you know, is it more common to have something, you know, that subtly builds over time or do a lot of people wake up like you and they're like, "Holy crap, like w- what just happened?" Like it hits them pretty hard. Like where does where do most people fall, do you think?
0: I think in the in the former, so I, I think that it does take time for it to kind of accumulate in the body, and just you know you mesh, not mesh, yeah, mesh is designed to cause inflammation, to cause tissue regrowth, so that's what it's intended to do. But it becomes chronic, and that kind of infiltrates the body. Um, you think nothing is intact or nothing, even the things that are said to be inert, it's going to degrade in the body slowly over time. That's proven. That's um, you can't deny that, and so if this is plastic in the body, we know there's plastic pollution in the world and the environment in the water. So think about it in your body. You have plastics that are degrading and as they're breaking apart, you're getting the larger surface area of each of these particles and they can attract things like bacteria, biofilms can start to generate around these um, particles. And since they become You know, if they're microscopic, they're probably not going to translate into various organs, but they do become nanoparticles over time. So the nanoparticles can even penetrate the gut lining. And that's where you start thinking, okay, if it can, if it can be in the gut, then it's going to impact every other organ system in the body. So in in my research, I'm really honing in on the fact that not only is, is the mesh not as inert as it was thought to be, or, you know, if you can study it in vitro or whatever, but it's it's supposed to be in the human body 20 years, 30 years. you know Sometimes you have a, a mesh replacement. And as this is degrading, um, you don't understand that you're not only having toxicity from the inside, you have toxicity coming at you from the outside world. And so these people who are experiencing it later on, maybe they just overloaded at this point. Their bucket is completely full and can no longer detox correctly.
1: Okay. So I think what's even kind of scarier here is if a lot of people are having these subtle things that build up over time, uh, they might not be connecting at all that this correlates with their surgery, right? So now we have people running around. The doctors don't know about this necessarily. I mean, some of these comments are are very, uh, I appreciate you guys being honest. It's just very sad to hear because this sounds like a classic thing, like very similar to autoimmune disease um, in general, where people are invalidated. Um, and of course, the average person isn't educated in this stuff. So when you go to the doctor and the doctor tells you X, Y, Z thing is impossible, 95% of us take that at face value, because quite frankly, that's that's the appropriate thing to do um, in a certain sense. Like, yeah, why would they, why would I know more than them um, about what's going on? Now, I always believe we know more about our own bodies. I think there is a time and place. We, we need these advanced um, scientists and all these things like studying stuff for us. But still, if, if you know something's going on in your own, body. I don't care what papers you have. No one can tell me differently because I've had times where I was invalidated. Uh, my mom certainly had times when she was invalidated and she was right. She knew something was wrong and they didn't catch it. So uh, always trust your gut with that type of stuff. Um, now with that said, I I'm really curious Were when this happened to you and you woke up and, and this was already going on, um, I, I fully get that you might've associated it with the mesh later, but like, Did you understand that it was the mesh at the time that you woke up in the days afterwards? Or did you just know, hey, something happened in the surgery? Like, did you even understand that the mesh was a thing back then?
0: Um, I had just a a little inclination just because of the synthetic mesh situation. So I really dove into my own medical records to try to figure out what exactly was used. Mm -hmm. And when I found out that it was not a a truly biologic mesh and that it was a hybrid mesh that had polyester in it, then the wheels started turning, and so I mentioned joining these support groups. And there's a lot of information to be had. Um, there's um, Hernia Talks, which is a live podcast every Tuesday, I believe. Of course. And you just you have to gather information from from the, the medical providers first, off, the surgeons that know that it's a problem. Um, they know they've had to do explants themselves, so these are the people that I would trust more. They understand that you, the body might need certain things for structural um, integrity, but there's a a probability probability that some people might experience these kinds of symptoms, and so this specific type of mesh is not suited for them, or this type of procedure is not suited for them. So I did kind of understand, and maybe it had something to do with environmental engineering background. Um, I understand toxicity. I understand how we calculate reference doses and things like that. So just again, reference dose in my body, the mesh just put me overboard, and whatever else happens in surgery, you know, you get. Um, the anesthesia and all yeah. of that, it takes a long time. Yeah. It takes a long time to get it all out of your body.
1: Okay. So let's definitely focus on solutions because I'm, I'm seeing so many people here uh, just going through this themselves or here for a family member. And, um, you know, I know that you're still dealing with some stuff, but obviously, from what you've described, uh, honestly, the fact that you can even get on a podcast right now and talk as well as you're talking, like, or I should say, speak as well as you're speaking, uh, that is already showing progress, like obviously something must be moving in the right direction. So knowing what you know now, let's start with the fundamentals, knowing what you know now, uh, is there anything that occurred that led to your hernia that you would do differently in terms of like prevention? Like, I'm, I'm not sure how your hernia was actually caused. We never got to that. But mm-hmm. um, was that something looking back that might have been avoidable? I think that's the first thing to start with before we even get into mesh. It's like, can we avoid right. the hernia to begin with? Obviously, some people will get them regardless. But um, I'd, I'd love to know if you have any thoughts on that.
0: Yeah, I guess it's a 50 50 shot. I mean, some people suffer with connective tissue disorder, so they're more susceptible to these kinds of things. I do have some genetic predisposition for that, connective tissue issues, um, but mine actually occurred after my second pregnancy. And um, they labeled me a torpedo baby or torpedo belly because if you looked at me from behind, you couldn't tell I was pregnant. But if I turned sideways, I had a, a projectile belly, like pretty large. So I imagine that that caused the muscle separation. And it caused, you know, the the hernia to occur. So um, some people get it from heavy lifting, not even heavy lifting. I won't say it that way. Um, incorrect technique in lifting and, and repetitive action. Um, some people get it from even constipation. You know, the straining of, and constipation can cause some a, a abnormal amount of um, abdominal pressure. So things like that, we really need to make sure that people are having normal bowel movements, especially when they have a a higher likelihood of this type of thing.
1: Okay. Got it. So there's maybe something to be done there, but at the end of the day, a lot of people that are going to get hernias are going to get hernias. And then we got to work through this. So with that said, okay, moving to the next step, Again, knowing what you know now, um, you've mentioned several different types of meshes and and ways that we can deal with the hernia surgery. It sounds like depending on the type of hernia or how bad it is, I should say, the severity, um, maybe there's only certain options in those cases. But uh, let's say I'm someone that's watching this today. I'm sure given the amount of people that are on right now and how many people will watch and listen afterwards, there's gotta be someone that's awaiting the hernia surgery and is probably trying to make the best decision that they can. So what would you advocate, for now if you could go back in time you haven't even gotten the first surgery yet what would you advocate for because you got to do something so what would that something be
0: yeah in the meantime while you're waiting you can do things to kind of support abdomen um, definitely wear a binder and things like that um, you need to reach out to a hernia specialist if i could go back and do it all again you know i've i've spent a lot of money just trying to recover functionality versus paying for a surgeon out of pocket, I probably would have been better off even out of pocket paying it for a general surgeon, a plastic surgeon. Um, for people with umbilical hernias, they can have abdominal wall reconstruction rather than just having a general a general surgeon perform a surgery with mesh. Um, you definitely have to advocate for yourself. Uh, you have to look at your own history and think about, you know, maybe you have some symptoms that you haven't connected, or maybe you've been brushing things off. You have You're feeling very fatigued lately, or you're feeling like your digestion is not operational and um, maybe some hormonal imbalances. So, you start thinking about all these things are already stressors on the body. Imagine having a surgery where it's not just recovery, you're not repairing just the wound, but it's going to be a chronic stressor in your body having a permanent or semi permanent um, prosthetic device in your body. So, definitely advocate, see if there are other options in terms of doing a tissue based repair. And if not, then look for what you have to work with your surgeon, of course, to see what the best fit is for you and your
1: particular case. Okay, fair enough. So then the next phase, right, which is probably the boat that most of the people that would watch or listen to this are gonna fall in the surgery's done, right? They never suspected anything, just like as skeptical as I am, not necessarily of Western medicine, but of the consequences of Western medicine. Because I, I do believe most of these doctors and nurses, they're great people. My sister's a nurse, right? They don't, they're in the same system that we're subjected to when we go through Western medicine. These are the same people that would also get the hernia surgeries in this way. Um, and and they wouldn't know any better necessarily. So with that said, though, um, we're kind of, we're left in the dark afterwards. Like we got to do our own thing. We got to really, truly advocate for ourselves. So let's say the surgery is done. People had no idea what the risk factor even was. Um, I certainly wouldn't have known that. And now they have the symptoms. Now they're dealing with it. Um, It does sound like there's some options to perhaps, you know, get some or all of it removed. Uh, But there's also other things that you've clearly done. I mean, you ended up becoming an FDN practitioner. So I'd eventually love to get to like how you chose FDN and why FDN. Um, But what are some of the things that people can do if if they're in the same boat as you, like, or that you were in? Hey, I already got it. And I I don't feel good. What are the next steps for people like that?
0: Mm -hmm. Especially for those who may not be able to get the removal, but I, I think that there's a good possibility of having removal if that's really the case. But we, you know, you asked the question about what brought me to FDN and it was really looking at the holistic approach and looking at the five pillars that we, that we do. So in my case, and in some of the cases of people that I work with, we really tackle the diet. We we tackle that in specific to make sure that we're not eating things that can be triggering more sensitivities or more inflammation in the body. So we look at um, the metabolic type. So I didn't know, um, I actually worked with a nutritionist, Mary Ruddick. I didn't know why I was doing better when I transitioned to the GAPS diet. And GAPS diet is, is really good to tame inflammation. Another one, Wall's Protocol, very good um, for people with autoimmune disorders. But what it is, is that I had eliminated fat from my diet and needless to say, that was the wrong way to go because the first year, the second year, the third year, even I was not improving. So right. I had eliminated fat. I was not eating enough protein. And these are the things that your body needs for hormone um, growth, hormone repair, and for um, muscle synthesis, for instance. Uh, I I was wasting. I was not moving. I was not um, exercising. I used to exercise a lot. Like um, Like I was... Uh, running three miles the day before the surgery, and um, I used to bench press and squat two twenty-five. Like I was really active. So you stop moving, you stop sweating, and movement is life. Like I've I've heard that from some of the people I've spoken to. Without movement, you don't have movement through your lymph system to help with detoxification pathways. Um, you you really we have the five mechanisms. Well, men have four mechanisms of elimination. So, but women have an extra one. (laughs) We have um, respiration, uh, defecation, urination, uh, sweating, and then women have menstruation. Mm. So we want to capitalize on all of those processes to get elimination of any toxins that are coming in our body in whatever manner we can. So you really want to focus in on the detox and in the diet, as I mentioned.
1: I want to um, go back to some of these comments for a second because they kind of slow down. So I, I'd love to just really thank you guys for engaging with us here. Um, Nicole had did a follow-up saying, no doc will take him seriously. And this is for her dad, I believe. And he's seen an array of docs. They've worked all the labs and nothing. Um, Healing Hands PT said, you can't get research because doctors say it is impossible. Um, I've definitely heard of a lot of things like that, right? It seems like stuff's maybe progressing in the right direction, but I'm sure that progress is slow. Um, I got very ill, this is The same person. I got very ill from mesh. I was told I was crazy. I was told, but multiple doctors, or by multiple doctors, it could never be removed. Um, mesh almost killed me, is what she said. Wow, um, mm-hmm. Scott Shortmeyer. And wow, you were tracked in all the FDNs today. A good friend's wife has had years of issues, had many surgeries, and um, autoimmune issues, chronic misery. Wow. Um, Dawn says my sister had hernia repair 20 plus years ago and now has unregulated HP. Um, my dad had hernia repair surgery in 2017, not sure about his symptoms. My mom just had a mesh bladder repair surgery, um, in October. So I I guess uh, another really good point here is I labeled the title mesh implant illness for a reason. We've been talking about hernias, but there are other surgeries that can lead to Mm -hmm. mesh being implanted, correct?
0: Right. So as you just read in the bladder and the pelvic region, they have all kinds of mesh to to support the reproductive organs and things like that.
1: Wow. Okay. Uh, Tammy, we'll get to your question. Last couple here. Uh, Lisa, so you even attracted our accountant today for FDN, which is an amazing thing. Uh, Lisa said, I have a pigskin mesh in my abdomen for a transplant 10 years ago. Four revisions. It's still very painful and it's hard to eat. Oh, my gosh. I didn't know that, Lisa. Um, and Joe said the gaslighting is horrible. My second time dealing with a reaction and all that goes with it. Um, so go into Tammy's question. So again, that we can stay, you know, productive and positive with this. Um, Tammy said, if someone did a regular detox, do you think it could help? So, um, that seems a a little vague. I don't know what regular detox means, but I'm sure, you know, Mm -hmm. how we can go with that question. So, um, how would you answer that if someone did a regular detox, do you think it could help?
0: So detox in general is always going to be a good thing because, like I said, we're exposed to so many um, environmental toxicants. We have a lot of air pollution, our water. If you if you take a look, um, your municipality, you can read the reports and, and, you know, it meets the standard, the government standard. But it doesn't eliminate all of the things like pharmaceuticals. Um, you still have some high lead concentrations, and again, microplastics going in there. So. You want to think detox as part of life like it's not something you do one time and that's it or once every month you've got to do it continuously so some of the things that people can can do and it might not sound like it correlates but we want to be in tune with earth so i always do grounding i make sure that i do grounding and that um, ion transfer with the earth bare feet i try to do that every day um, i recommend to the people that i'm working with it's um You know, if you can get in an infrared sauna, do some red light therapy, get the sweating happening, have the the red light really, and you probably can tell me more, tell the audience more about red light therapy, um, but um, have that cellular movement happening. And so those are two of my favorite things. Castor oil packs for the liver. We want to try to detox the liver as much as possible because that's our our filtration mechanism, the, the liver and the kidneys. So castor oil packs on the liver, you can do that very simply at home every day even. Um, What are some other things that we like? Uh, In terms of detox, you want to have purified water. Um, I like reverse osmosis. And then you can re-add some trace minerals to make sure you're not depleted. Um, Yeah, I I think those are the main ones in terms of diet. Of course, you want to have organic food as much as possible. If you can't, I mean, I know it's pricey, so sometimes it's hone in on the dirty dozen and the clean 15. So you you can decide which which foods you want to invest more in and definitely look at the, the type of foods you're consuming, the diet, your vitamin deficiencies, um, in terms of detox, you need to be nutritionally balanced to be able to push things through. Um, and, and yeah, we talked about making sure to have that bowel movement and sweating every day movement. Uh, I'm thinking, yeah, those are uh, dry brushing. is another one that's very simple to do at home. If you do dry brushing daily, excellent.
1: Um, I want to move a little bit, and this will still be helpful for people, but I want to move in specifically to, um, how you're now like doing this as work. Cause you know, it's not like your career, uh, was a bad one beforehand, right? Like that's a very good career. That's something many people would aspire to and be like, okay, I'm solid with this. This is what I'll do till retirement. Um, and this has had such a profound impact on your life that not only did you go through FDN, but you decide, Hey, I want to help other people. Um, and I'm, I am curious, when did you make the decision? Cause I don't know if it was before or after, or even possibly during FDN. When did you make the decision that you wanted to do this as work? Because we have, um, way more people that deal with these things and then thank God do eventually overcome them, but they still go back to their normal jobs or the thing that they originally went to college for. Um, so I'm curious, when did you decide, no, 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 I want to go do this and actually help other people with it.
0: Yeah, I, I guess, it's been an ongoing thing. I've been advocating for a while, especially seeing, you know, the audience now has known about gaslighting and going through that. So I've been advocating for, gosh, a bulk of four years now. Um, and and so research kind of went from looking at stormwater and air quality, and, and it transitioned to this pretty quickly. I mean, I still do environmental engineering as well. But I think just being the way I was and losing all hope, and and somebody said, you know, it almost took their life. Well, it almost took my life as well, and just not finding someone to listen and to understand and to offer at least that that semblance of hope. So I I just I really want people to know that there is hope, there is possibility for improvement in these symptoms, even if you cannot have a full extraction, you know, you can tip the tip the needle or tip the um, I can't think of the the phrase right now, but you can definitely make progress in your functionality. Um, I, there's one thing I didn't mention. Through through my surgeries, I did have abdominal wall denervation, and for people who they either have heard of it or not, but it's basically nerve damage in the abdomen. So essentially, I have no muscle on the left side of my abdomen. I wear a binder 24/7 to support. But even with that, I've gotten my thumb mobility back. Um, I'm able to walk. Um, you know fairly decent distance i use mobility aids for longer but there's function and so that's that's what i want to really push uh, along to our audience here today and and i help my clients really you know if they they've tried everything they've seen multiple specialists and they've received multiple prescriptions but they're actually going in a negative direction so there's a way to kind of tip that scale
1: awesome um, we have uh, just some more cool stuff. I want to share this for uh, Paula here because she's helping people. So, Paula said she is a campaigner, patient, and advocate for Rectopexy. Uh, rectopexy, bowel mesh victims, hernia mesh victims and vaginal mesh victims and then even cooler, um she runs a Facebook support group that supports and gives info for all mesh patients with complications. Our group is called Rectopexy Mesh P- uh, Victims and Support. Paula, thank you so much. I'll leave that up for a few moments um while we continue the conversation here. Uh we just we just have really endless uh comments coming in of these different stories, so I'm uh uh, very sorry to hear that you guys are going through this, but thank God we're doing this conversation today. Um, and then you get to meet someone like Dr. Sharon. So uh, have you, well, I'll start with this and then we'll move into clients. With FDN, you know, how did you like, what did you find on the labs? Because for those that don't know, when you become an FDN practitioner, we actually include uh, lab tests in the cost of tuition. So you really become your first FDN patient. And I'm like wondering what the heck were on those things after you've been through all this. So I'm sure you found healing opportunities and things to work on. Mm-hmm. Um, what were those, like, what did you find on the labs that were significant?
0: Yeah, I think the most significant, well, they're they were all kind of needing help, so with the stress and hormone panel, um, I although I was very chronically fatigued, apparently my body was super stressed out, and that makes sense because it's it's inflamed, right? I'm I've, I'm trying to detox all of this stuff that's been happening over the years. I'm trying to find the right diet, and so um, my cortisol levels were kind of through the roof. They, I had to learn how to navigate that. Um, also, there's there's one the mucosal barrier assessment you've heard the term leaky gut, probably uh, most of you have. And so, yeah, I had severe leaky gut. I've had um, high histamines, which I already knew I was already taken in a, a, histi- a low histamine diet, um, very minimal ingredients, but I was still high in histamine and low in the enzyme that is, is needed to kind of break down that histamine. So using the labs, I was able to better support that part of me, that the part of my gut health. Um, also, Um, in terms of the GI map, it gave me information I was I had dysbiosis and I had a lot of opportunistic bacteria. So those guys were crowding out the good bacteria. And that's probably why my digestion was still off for so long. Um, So I've been able to rebalance that and and I guess restore that digestive function. Uh, I'm consuming the normal nutrients that I should be I'm not losing weight, which was kind of and uh, that was a scary thought. Like I was down to about 90 pounds at some at some point. So I lost about 40 pounds because I couldn't eat. So now um, the, the digestive dysfunction has eased. Um, what else? I think my, my favorite view of this is <laughs> with the GAPS diet, for some of you who are doing it, you know, you do take in quite a bit of protein, but apparently my body wasn't able to break down the protein appropriately. So um, with the indican marker that I saw, I know I needed to um, include some digestive enzymes and some other digestive support. I do digestive bitters before meals, and that seems to be helping. Like I'm not having so much distress in the GI tract.
1: Nice. Wow. So that leads me to my next question then, um, because I'm not sure where you're at, I guess, with the whole FDN process. You have a beautiful website. Um, So I was wondering, are you already... Like, are you just freshly taking clients or have you taken some and worked them through protocols? Um, so where are you at with that? Because I'm, I'm basically wondering about any client testimonials that might exist so far. But if you just started, I don't know uh, where you'd be at with that. So I, I'd love to hear those yeah. if they exist.
0: Yeah. In the past, I was not doing like one-on-one um, <laughs> protocols. And now I think that that's the way to go, especially with such like severe cases or chronic cases. I think that that's the way that, that the clients that gravitate to me work best. And so I have had clients that, again, their digestive issues have been resolved. Um, mostly, you know, the common complaints, you get gas and bloating and sleeplessness, things like that have been able to be resolved with detoxification processes. So I am doing one-on-ones. Um, and, you know, I'm, I'm considering doing group programs if, if the interest is there. But definitely the, the people who come to me have gone through the gambit. They've They've already tried everything, you know, the pharmaceutical approach didn't work. And so I I really focus my time on them. And, you know, I I mentioned I'm still doing some engineering work, but I dedicate my time in terms of it's not just the hours that I spend face to face, but I dive deeply into the research of every person's case, like, I want to get a thorough understanding of what are all the possible causes or what is contributing to the chaos in their body. And um, yeah, so I think that As we generate these these protocols that are helping people with implant illness, for instance, or just toxicity overload, it might become a little easier to navigate. But definitely, I think everyone needs the individualized attention. Mm
1: -hmm. Cool. And so um, it's a little early because I still want to, we still have like five minutes left, but where can people find you if they'd like to reach out to you or work with you?
0: Okay. Uh, Everything for me is at the handle Functionally Enlightened. My website is the same, functionallyenlightened.com. So, I can be reached either there on Instagram, on Facebook, and then direct email. I'm open to it for now. It's Sharon at functionallyenlightened.com. And yeah, I, I'm pretty easy to reach. Uh, but I do, because of my own journey, I do have, and I, I suggest this to all of the listeners, have some hours where you disconnect from the digital world. So, I call it a digital detox. So, after a certain hour, you know, seven o'clock or so, blue lights are off. Mm-hmm. And, and that's when I'm kind of. Off off market.
1: (laughs) Perfect. Um, I'll just go through some of the final remaining messages here. It's uh so first of all, thank you so much for coming on today and sharing this. I had no idea this was so big of a thing, and I think the comments uh obviously prove that it is. We had Pauline say, My teenage son got deathly ill um from hernia mesh in 2015, along with excruciating pain. All surgeons gaslit him, he was completely bedridden. It took him three months to find a surgeon to help. Um, I also have a Facebook group to help patients. I believe you're in my group. It's heartbreaking what is happening. Oh, wow, amazing. Um, Tracy said, so sad that this is not taken more seriously in the medical system when it can be this dangerous. Yep. Uh, Well, if these people like Dr. Sharon and the rest of these in the comments, I mean, if you guys keep doing what you're doing, it's gonna get pretty hard to ignore. So um, I I have some thoughts on that and I'll share it in a moment. Uh, Healing Hands PT said, again, what I have found is that mesh implant illness, breast implant illness, all of these things Um, fit under the umbrella of Asia syndrome, autoimmune syndrome induced by an adjunct. Okay. So really interesting there, right? There seems to be this common theme of, and it, it sounds like such common sense when you say it out loud, but obviously these things are so normalized in today's world that we don't really think about it, but it's like, oh yeah, obviously we're putting something foreign into the human body. It's reacting to it. And then not to mention, it's probably just getting legitimately poisoned by it, depending on what it is. So there's so many things that could go wrong. Um, I know when they even do uh, uh, transplants, organ transplants, which again is a life-saving procedure often, that's why it's being done, Uh, but they'll have to give special medications so that the body doesn't reject that person's organ, right? Um, So it's a really tricky situation because with the exception of, I suppose, breast implants, I I don't want to sound ignorant. I'm imagining that other than maybe in a case of cancer and not that it would be a necessity then, but I could understand why someone would, uh, deal with the cancer and then what breast um, implants. I understand that most of the time that's a choice. All these other things are, are kind of like, you need to do something about the hernia. You need to do something about the bladder thing that the person mentioned earlier. Like these are not avoidable things per se. And so it's just, the education, I guess, needs to be spread, um, to help people navigate this and know what to do if something does happen. Or, uh, like you said, Dr. Sharon, how we can approach this in the most safe way possible, uh, while we're going through these surgeries and afterwards. Um, okay. And even before,
0: yeah, definitely yes. before you can prepare for it by, by doing the best for your body.
1: Yeah, absolutely. Um, a lot, I want to share one more Facebook group just to, uh, hear you guys go. Um, This person runs a Facebook group called Asia Syndrome. Thank you guys for what you're doing here. Absolutely amazing. uh, Very amazing stuff. So we shared where people can find you. Uh, this is probably you know, something that we'll have to circle back on in a few months, uh, maybe you know, five, six months down the road, if you don't mind, because I feel like we're just getting to the surface of some of this stuff. Um, I want to make sure because we ended up engaging with the audience more than I typically would in a podcast, which is wonderful, um, but you're also the guest. And so I want to say for the last several minutes here, is there anything else that for a first episode, you wanted to make sure absolutely got shared today, whether it's, you know, the stuff beforehand, the stuff during surgery, the stuff afterwards. Um, Is there anything else that you really wanted to get out today to let people know about when it comes to these mesh implants?
0: I think it's important to work if you're not very familiar with your own nutrition, and you know, you've been eating the sad diet, a standard American diet, it's important to try to find someone to work with you before surgery to try to get the best nutrition in you and to allow your your body at least a chance to repair restore as best it can um, and again to eliminate as many stressors even prior during after you want to continuously do that so you know whether you're doing your sauna and your exercise making sure you're resting sufficient you know five hours is not enough we have to Get into that sleep routine where we get in seven to eight hours, and these are things that you can do without having to go outside. You know, you can just incorporate these things into your life as you gear up for this surgery. Um, seek a hernia specialist if it's that, or um, if it's if it's a reproductive tract, and you you have to find a gynecological specialist or a urologist that is open to trying to look at tissue repair or tissue-based repair, and and really find somebody that you're trusting. Don't. Don't let someone, um, not only gaslight, but if someone has bad bedside manner, you know that I chose the surgeon that didn't have the best bedside manner. And I should have known, like, that's something you want to be comfortable with the surgeon so that, you know, afterwards that they're going to support you correctly. And then just continue with, with detox and the healthiest lifestyle that you can.
1: Okay. I, I said, I had some thoughts on you know, this whole thing. And I hope this is appropriate because I wouldn't wish this on anyone. I wouldn't wish any of the stuff that we share on this show on anyone for the most part. But when I look at some of these things and I look at someone like you with your credentials and your background, and I see this happening to you, and now what you're able to do in terms of ad- advocating for others, um, helping others, and not to mention with your credentials, you just take you seriously, right? I'm not that people don't take me seriously, but I have like a semester and a half of college. I have a few certifications and I share my story, but that's all I ever have. And with you, it's like, no, I know this stuff because I've done the environmental thing. So I know uh, what this can do to the body in general, let alone when it's in this stuff. It, again, while I wouldn't wish it on someone, it's pretty hard to say that if I was going to give this to someone to go help other people uh, that you wouldn't be about as good as it could get uh, to give to someone to go help and fight for other individuals. And just the amount of thank yous. Uh, I hope that you can, you can see those, right? Although thank you. Yeah. Okay. Just the amount of stuff that you got today, I think kind of proves that point. Um, and what I'll finish on and then I'll shut up. I, I just, I'm so amazed by this. I saw this the other day. I can't remember the gentleman's name, but I ended up following him. And, um, I think everyone will understand how this logically connects to the conversation today. It was a gentleman who was falsely imprisoned for 10 years. And during those 10 years, he spent his time. This is a true story. I I verified this and looked this up. He spent his 10 years researching law. He started studying law in the library of the prison, fought for his own case, got himself out and now spends the rest of his life as a lawyer, fighting for other people who have been wrongly imprisoned. And, um, Again, I know that's a legal thing, but I think people can see what I'm talking about here. I am, I'm 28 years old. I don't pretend to have life figured out. I think that'd be incredibly arrogant. Um, But what I do know is one of my favorite quotes is the final stage of healing is using what happened to us to help other people. I don't know if that's the point to life. There might be a bigger thing than that. But I think the people that take the pain and then go do something with it, I think you figured out how to play the game of life to the best of your ability, right? Mm -hmm. Because we're all going to go through shit. That's, sorry, I don't normally course on the show. We're all going to go through stuff. There's no doubt about that. But how you handle it, that's how you do life. And um, you're doing it. So with that said, final question for you. You already know what I'm going to ask because you listen. It's the signature question on the show. It doesn't have to be about mesh implant illness. It can just be about anything since you've learned a bunch of stuff as an FDN and in your continued research. So the question for you, my friend, is if we could give Dr. Sharon a magic wand and you could wave it, and get every single person on this podcast or in the world to do one thing for their health. So that means you can force us all to start doing one thing, or you can force us all to stop doing one thing. What is the one thing that you would get us to do?
0: I think it's a common one and definitely taking a look at that diet, eliminating the sugar, Eliminating gluten. I guess that's two things, but you could start there and and bringing in organic as much as possible so that you don't you're not loaded with those pesticides and herbicides that are so prominent and we already know they're carcinogenic three things.
1: Thank you. That's perfect. Um, Again, thank you so much for coming on today. Thank you for everyone who engaged with us. And I appreciate you guys saying thank you to Dr. Sharon because it takes a lot to get on here. This is freaking 40 people live on a Friday. It's a lot of stress, um, especially if you don't do it that often. And so to know that all the stuff that she's been through is now helping other people. Um, again, that's about as good as it gets in a certain sense. FunctionallyEnlightened.com. Check her out there and at FunctionallyEnlightened on Instagram and other social media platforms. Um, I'm sure we'll be bringing you back in the future, my friends. So thank you again.
0: Thank you, Evan. I appreciate it.